the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. Why do I love FanDuel? Let me tell you. Because it's America's number one sports book. I like facts. I like knowing that they are number one in the space. There's also amazing odds and markets for the NBA, NHL, CBB, and so much more. It's also safe and secure and super quick payouts. You get your winnings delivered as quickly as two hours. It's amazing. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, welcome to the party. We're doing it over here, week after week. Two episodes, three, if you include the best of. Knocking things out of the park. Uh, Okay, guys, I am joined today by a pal of mine. Uh, You guys would know him, of course, from the world of WWE. Perhaps you know him from ESPN. Perhaps you know him from Hot 97. Perhaps you know him from his own podcast, Cheap Heat. The guy kind of dabbles in a bunch of different things, which to me makes him interesting as all hell. Peter Rosenberg is my guest today. It's always funny, I find, when I have on people on the show that also do something similar to like what I do where you're interviewing people or like you're used to being in the host spot. And I find that they generally try to hijack the interview. And I get it because I do the same thing. And I'm like, let me ask you some questions. So I feel like when we first started recording this episode, Rosenberg kind of hijacked for a little bit. And I had to tell him to pump the brakes, brother, because this is my show. And I got questions for you. Uh, I feel like we we got into some really interesting stuff, just, you know, obviously on the wrestling side of things to the role that he plays within WWE to the stuff that we were able to do together. Um, and then, you know, just talking some real life stuff, uh, going through a divorce, uh, especially during a pandemic, finding a new love in your life, um, figuring out life as an adult and taking a second, giving yourself a second to like take a breather and get your shit together. Uh, I think that's so important. Sometimes we just try to like keep moving and we don't really give ourselves time to like check in with ourselves to see what the hell is going on. Of course, we're not always afforded, you know, sometimes the luxury to be able to take a little bit of a breather. But um, I've definitely caught myself in situations like that where I'm like, work, 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 work. And then I find that I'm exhausted and burning the candle at both ends. Oh, my God. Anyways, we get into it with Rosenberg. He's a true cool dude. It's funny to me that he's so polarizing in the wrestling world, the way uh, <laughs> way people just want to get mad at him. Uh, that's actually another thing we really talk about, too, is, I mean, even in like the hip hop world, how he ends up in these like arguments and they become these like headline worthy things. Um, it's, you know, a thing that he's working on and being somewhat reflective on uh, with himself. Anyways, guys, here it is. Let's do it. This is Peter Rosenberg. Hey! 
Hello. Oh my God. Hello. I'm on the sessions. <laughs> you are on the sessions, no longer the oral session. So everyone calm down. Everybody remain calm. Was that How a thing? Was that a was that No, it was not. I mean, of course people were like, oh my God, you're talking about blowjobs. And I'm like, I'm not that often every now and then it may come up but like that's not what the premise of the show is um no that was not a thing the reason why i want to change the name of the show obviously when you say oral sessions people are like oh and they have like their dumb jokes whatever but i was doing um my hit with nhl network and jackie redmond brings me in my first time doing it she's like here's renee paquette you can catch her podcast the oral sessions blah 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 and it was like hearing in a professional setting like that that i was like is that weird it was like hearing it in like yeah it was like the professionalism of it that i was like is this okay? Well, good for you. Good for you for being analytical enough on your own thing. I only noticed it sometimes. I did sometimes be like, Oral, it's a podcast, so it feels so obvious. Yeah, like that's what I thought it was so obvious as well that I was like, we're having an oral session. Like, an, do people make a joke if you're saying I'm giving you an oral history of something? These days, at this point in time, if you were to say I'm giving you oral <laughs> at any... <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the name of this podcast. <laughs> I'm giving you oral. <laughs> wow. You know what? Let's not do that. Uh, buddy, how are you doing? What's going on? What's happening in your world right now? So good to see you. It is very good to see you too. Um, what is going on in my world right now? Well, it is always an adventurous time in my world. I'm going to talk about this in, in a vague way because I want to be over with this. But over the last couple of weeks, I've had like, moments where I've stepped into it with different personalities, which is a thing that has kind of always existed for as long as I've been a, a public front facing person. Um, I, I step into it with people and I, I do it. I, I, I lose control in a moment and I say something that I shouldn't say. And I, I feel the need to scratch an itch. And instead of like giving myself a 10 second or 10 minute or one hour rule recently, a couple of times, I just like, I've gotten really good at not doing that. But a couple of times recently, I just like did it and didn't quite know why. And then I turn around and I'm into it with people who I don't want to be into it with because they'll say anything. Are we talking the hip hop world or are we talking the wrestling world? Hip hop world. The wrestling world ones I have happened to. It's not as crazy though. Like the the lines that get crossed are not, I probably don't violate as much and the other people don't violate as much. So it kind of like lives in a certain space. Whereas in hip hop and in this, and in like my, my day job kind of stuff, I'll like get pushed a certain place or I'll start something, then I get pushed. And then I have a tendency to try to hit people where it hurts, but then they respond with their, version of jugular and it's often filled with just like crazy lies and nonsense how can i win this how can you win if you're beefing with people who will literally have no bottom to what they'd say you can't you can't win what level of stress does this bring to you do you sleep over stuff like this like i mean this must really not be great for you mentally and physically that's another reason it's not good for me is because afterwards i'm always regretful I often will try to reach out and make it better, you know, and if you do that with the wrong person, they just use that as ammunition to come after you again. It's not like that people like this are like, hey, you know what? He said really nasty things about me, but like, I kind of appreciate the thoughtful, empathetic way that he reached out to me. It doesn't work that way. So I'm willing to try that. 
And it's not the same as like responding to like a troll and being like, well, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, actually, I'm just kidding. I'm a big fan of yours anyways. I just wanted to see if you'd respond when it's like a, you know, a, a, a person that's a peer. It's not going to necessarily shake out the same way. No. And so it's to answer your question, it does bring me stress. And like if I'm involved in any sort of behavior that could ever lead to any sort of paranoia, that paranoia will often set in and I'll be like, oh, my God, what did I do this week? Who hates me? Well, I don't want people to hate. I don't want people I barely know out there wishing ill will on me in the world. I don't want this. And you have to think about that metaphorical voodoo doll that you don't want people to have that. And so I've made a lot of strides on working on the things that I don't love about my personality. But this is one that I still get caught up in. And it's hard because it's also part of who I am. Like I'm a scrapper in every setting. I'm not going to really back down. I'm going to defend myself and mix it up and not be scared and at a certain age in life like you have to think about like you know like my I have a new girlfriend she's never been a part of anything like seeing the person that she loves getting buckle up toots here we go <laughs> exactly <laughs> like that's not fun I mean she's super cool and laid back fortunately she's like a cool chick from Queens who like is just a regular person who kind of it is what it is not that deep but I can't imagine it's fun like I, I felt like now you're involved. And anyone who's near me now is kind of involved. It's like, that's, you got to be mindful. By the way, that was a really long way of saying I'm fine. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> like this does happen in my life. I'll step into it again. I've had it with a million people, rappers, radio personalities, wrestling writers. I thought about writing a book one day, actually, about all my beefs. Like I thought that was a good book theme. You could do your own burn book. Is a burn book a thing? A burn books for mean girls when the girls it's like the book where they all write like talk trash about every girl in the school. I already don't like the comp. OK, <laughs> I, I already don't want people to be like, yeah, Rosenberg's writing a mean girls book. But even if I wrote a book about all these different things, I don't even think it would have to necessarily be trash talking. Some of it could be really introspective and talk about like the things that I did that were stupid. Do you have like a million drafts saved on your Twitter of like things that you were going to say and then you didn't? You gave it a second. What does your draft folder look like? I never look at my draft folder. I would think they're just deleted, but I definitely now pause. I try to, you know, the, the thing that happened a couple of weeks ago with someone else, it was a comment on an IG page and it was talking shit about someone on an IG page, knowing perfectly well there's a chance they could see it. And of course they did. Again, wish I'd just been like, what am I doing this for? What's my real goal I'm trying to get from this? I feel like there was a time when I was more built for this and I, I would enjoy it more. You're getting soft in your older age. You don't want to fight anymore. And I've been through a lot of stuff now. And when, you, when, you, when you've been through really shitty times, you're so grateful for things being at peace. And so, you know, like that's been a big part of me in 2020 and 2021 was just being like, finding peace that I didn't feel I had in 18 and 19. So when I disrupt it by my own stupidity and now I have to wait it out. Now, fortunately, the one I'm dealing with right now, not that bad. It's a, my Twitter's not like full with it. it. I deal with I dealt with the worst recently over wrestling crap. I hate the wrestling stuff. Like when I see like a headline or like something I said taken out of context, like that shit pisses me off. I hate that. I feel like you're very beloved, though. I with the exception of the people who listen to my podcast, Cheap Heat, of which I'm proud to say there are a good amount and we, we do a nice job. Shout out to The Ringer and Spotify. We're having a great time. But like if you're not a member of the Cheap Heat universe and you love wrestling, your default is 
I can't stand Peter Rosenberg. You did the kickoff shows with me. I think I'm good, but I'm relatively benign. Like I don't get up there and say things that are like super trolly or I, I just kind of I'm just kind of part of the show. Let's also keep in mind, and I don't know if people know this or not, but when you and Sam Roberts were brought in, you were kind of brought in to be those guys that have the voice for the people online or, you know, that like fan perspective. That's what you guys were supposed to bring to the table, right? The complicated part of that idea was, hey, we want you to be the fan. But remember, as you know better than anyone, the kickoff shows are still the show. We're not doing a podcast like you and I do about the show. We're in the show. So like the Miz is going to come out and make fun of me and be a bad guy. And I can't go. I tell you what, the Miz is doing some of the best heel work of his career right now. Like that's, that's not what I am there to do. You put over the Miz, you sell his shit. You sell his shit. And I go, you know what? I, you were terrible on Dancing with the Stars. And he's like, what? I was amazing. I'm like, I don't think so. And he's like, you didn't watch. That's the bit. And I feel great. I know that afterwards he's happy because I put over his shit. And I talk trash about him and I know what to do. They will literally online, though, argue with the points I make. As if, like, I'm not being a credible journalist. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real muddy out there, man. Actually, the thing I pride myself in most, and Sam is good at this too, we can stay in that world and still say things that fans online are saying. But I can say it in a way where it's part of the show. So, like, I can say, hey, I got to be real with you. Seth Rollins needs to win tonight. It's been a long time and Seth is lost and blah, 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 blah. And if Seth doesn't get a win tonight, and that might be based on the fact that I know fans are saying like, dude, Seth better get a win here. And you do the same thing. You take those ideas that you know exist and then you translate it into making it part of the show. I used to at first when I first started and my, my problems with validation and social media were much worse than they are now. I would be sitting there with you backstage and I would search my name on Twitter, not even my at replies. That's not fun. Nothing good comes from that. I read horrible things. It made me really appreciate the people who just at me and, and just say it rather than I look it up and it's like Peter Rosenberg is a piece of shit. All I did was say Cesaro's going to win. Why is this so bad? I remember doing that kind of early on in my career, too, because I didn't know what like a vanity search was. I didn't know that that was a thing that you could do. So, of course, your curiosity gets kind of peaked and you're like, wait, what are people saying? What are the people that don't have the gull to tag me saying? I would love to know. And you're like, holy shit, like it can really upset you, <laughs> it, like rocks your world. It's nasty. Listen, I'm not trying to throw a pity party. I have one of the all time cool lives like it, it is. I, I have no complaints about working in my dream fields three times over. It's a ball. But the thing is, we don't get to this kind of place in this kind of job without being the kind of person who obviously is trying to please on some level. Like we entertain We're no matter how cool anyone may seem, everyone's trying to get over in some way. You still want that pat on the back. You want the pat on the back. You want Vince to tell you did a good job. You want to have like a good interaction with people. That's what kind of feeds us. It's fucked up. Even though you love the jobs, especially in this era the amount of feedback you get that can be nasty. It's not how my career started. Like when I got started in radio, callers could call up and argue with you, whatever. 
But there was no way. Like I remember, oh yeah, message boards. You know what? I, I take it back. There was a website. In, <laughs> there was a website in DC called DCR TV. They would crush me so bad. I was brand new. I had a talk show on in DC. I was so happy. I was 25 years old. I was trying to figure it out. And the DCR TV mailbag. It must have been the same five people every night just writing these comments about how much they hated my guts. So I guess it was there. But now. The DCR TV mailbag is, is everywhere. It's, it's, it's every, it's all this social media bullshit. Hey guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you. Hello. Hi. And you love some combat sports. Well, be sure to check out boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport. And he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. You're a host. You've hosted a million different things. But I kind of want to see you've almost hijacked this interview a little bit and you've not let me get too personal with you yet. Because you just started talking about other things that are very important and we can have a great conversation. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being, you're, I'm hijacking. You go. I'm back. How personal do you want to get today? Listen, you go as personal as you want and I'll stop you if it's too personal. You were talking earlier about how 2021 was really just being able to like enjoy and kind of get into relaxing and, and loving life and, and whatnot. But prior to that, you took a little bit of a hiatus right? Was that like a mental health? It was something like that. It was, uh, I have to tell you, this is one of, uh, first of all, I kept working my, my day jobs. I just wasn't working WWE. And essentially my marriage fell apart. And when it did, I said, Hey, I'm going to take off. I can't travel. So I'm gonna have to take off for a little while. The truth is I just don't question this. I don't really know what happened. I just wasn't around for a while. Then at some point a year later, you know, I just kind of I give my agent Dipperstein a lot of credit. I had moments of real frustration and sadness and anger and jealousy and all those things. Dip was like, keep your head down. Keep doing what you do. You got this. And eventually I'm just sitting around and essentially Michael Cole calls me and is like, yo, we need you to come back. Where you been? Let's, let's, let's get you back here. And then they brought me back in a, in a sort of more pervasive capacity than ever where I, you know, they've really utilized me a lot. 24 seven champ, baby. Got that sweet roll up. That was a hilarious day with all kinds of stuff that happened around that that people don't know about either. But um, when I eventually came back, I was so grateful. I had found peace with never doing it again. I finally found peace. Like I was like, I wanted to be there for a long time. I did it. It's all good, bro. Like you've done what you need to do. But keep in mind at the same time, I just lost my marriage too. So the combination of like, this really huge thing, your marriage and seemingly your future. Then on the side, it's like this really fun thing you were doing in wrestling, that combo of both. I was like, this feels unfair. Like I I know I'm not a perfect person. I've, I've certainly made mistakes, but this doesn't feel like commensurate to who I am. But when it eventually worked out and I came back, I realized I was like, I wasn't even ready to come back when I wanted to come back. Yo, when people saw me for the first, like, Seven months after everything happened, I just looked like a different person. My face wasn't happy. Like I wasn't there. So I needed that time. And by the time I came back, it ended up being I was gone total for like a year and three months or something like that. 
And I came back and when this is how you and I worked together the last couple times before you left the company. But yeah, I came back and then we did one show and then the pandemic hit. Bouncing back from going through the divorce, going through all these emotions. Um, what was sort of the recovery process of going through a divorce and getting things back on track to, to feeling like yourself again? It's a really good question. And it's, it's really like, I feel like it doesn't get talked about all that much. Like that was one of the experiences I really had was, was like, I don't have anything to base this on. Like my parents are married, been married for 50 years. So I just didn't know what you're supposed to do. And there's like all these different layers. There's like a really basic premise of like the person and the idea that that relationship is over. But then there's this other thing too about like, I'm divorced. It feels like a red mark on your public record for everyone to see. I'd really wanted to have children. And now I'm like, well, okay, I'm, I'm already 40. Like I'm already a career first person. Like this has already been, all of my friends have kids and they're getting older. My niece and nephew are now teenagers. Like this is not what I thought was going to happen. So you really just put one foot in front of the other on those mornings, waking up to try to go do two radio shows when like you're miserable. I don't even know how people do it. And I don't know how these celebrities do it. Like these celebrities who get divorced the next week, they're doing an interview. Like my ex-husband is such a piece of shit. I was incapable of letting anyone even find out for a year. I didn't talk to you for a very long time. There was a big chunk where I was like, because you, your number changed. I didn't know how to get a hold of you. I was like, what is happening? I, I know. I, ha I actually had for the first time at the Rumble, I had that conversation with the Bellas, who are two of my favorite people. And I had completely fallen off the planet. And Nikki was like, I was worried. I had didn't know what happened to you. You literally vanished from everything. You were gone, yeah. You know, at first it was like, I'm going to try to save this thing. And then it went from that to just like, I can't do it right now. And by the way, that ended up great. I did a, I was off of social for six months. I'm kind of annoyed with my life that I'm still, I'm so now back to just using it all the time because it felt so good to get used to it. Like I got used to it. I don't look at my phone at night unless I'm reading articles. It actually makes you even use your phone smarter because when you don't have IG or, or Twitter to go to, you go to news websites and like read things. It's actually valuable. So I put my I, I, one every day. It was do my affirmations, my gratitudes, my prayers every day, every day, every day. And then you look up and it's been. Yeah, I made it through the winter because it all started in mid-October. So that December, January. Perfect time to shut it down, right? Just the cold heart of winter staring you dead in the face. And keep in mind, I move out. I'm in a random dumpy apartment. How was that having to move out and get like a new apartment? Like that must have been a mind fuck. It was this process of like the first few weeks. It was crash in a hotel room and the Yo, I always describe the hotel room situation. You'll, I know you will appreciate this. Um, do you remember the scene in Big when Tom Hanks spends the night in Times Square for the first time by himself <laughs> yeah. and he hears like a gunshot yeah. and screaming and he's like, ah! <laughs> that was me. That was me in this crappy hotel oh up in the God. 90s. I was like, I, I used to live near this hotel, but I never saw it before. And I started staying there. It was so grimy and I would hear crazy shit in the hallway. There was almost no TV I could watch that wouldn't upset me. So it was like, I just like, 
Yo, I was a fucking mess, Renee. Like, it gave me a lot of perspective and gratitude in the long run about how easily people's lives can fall apart. Yo, if I was a big drinker, if if I was a, a drug person, bruh, I could have fallen into bad shit. It was not far off. Like, I wanted to go away. I have great support, though, from my parents and my brother and, and my best friends and, and people who care for me. And I kept my shit together. And my brother was just like, dude, one thing is over, but you're going to keep your jobs. You're going to keep doing the other things that you do that are your blessings. You're going to keep working and you're going to be OK. And at, you don't believe that at first. But when you repeat it, you get there. Eventually, you look up and it's April 2020. And the world shut down and you're in an apartment by yourself in the epicenter of a pandemic and you randomly send a message to a girl who um, you follow on Twitter and then two years later, you're in a great relationship. It's so crazy. Like when you really feel like that, like rock bottom moment, how the fuck am I going to get out of this one? There's no way I'm going to pull myself out of this. And now for you two years later to be able to look back at like, man, look at who I was then. Look at the things I went through. Look at how I've been able to like pull my shit together. And now life is back on track. You're with this woman that you love. Bear must be thriving Bear is thriving. He has a great stepmom. She loves that dog and he loves her. Uh, no, you're right. It's 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 amazing. And I'm, I feel how could I be anything but thankful? And, you know, everyone always told me like a time will come when you will be thankful and you will be like, you know what? It all worked out the way it's supposed to. And it's taken time to get there. And for the people who haven't been through their bad thing yet, I know this shit sounds kind of boring and like mushy and lame. But for anyone who has been through it, I know I'm going to hear from you and you're going to say thank you because this shit is fucking hard. And this adulting shit, whether it's a divorce or a loss of a person you love or a professional restart, these things as adults, man, are just really, really hard. And I think it is important to share it. And wrestling's provided a, a really nice reprieve for me. You know, it always has. Your love of Bobby the Brain Heenan, you're wearing his shirt right now. I have a side note to this, but let's get into just your love of wrestling and your love of uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan. I didn't realize when I was little that I loved Bobby the Brain Heenan because, of course, I hated Bobby the Brain Heenan because he was very good. And I was rooting for Hulk Hogan against Andre the Giant. And Heenan was just so fantastic as a bad guy that I hated him. And as the years went on and as I got more and more invested in sort of wrestling on a deeper level... I was just like, man, this guy was the biggest foil for Hulk Hogan. Like the other players rotated, but he was the guy the whole time. Like whether he was on commentary or managing, he was always the one that made Hulk Hogan work in a lot of ways. So like when people talk about Hulk Hogan's greatest adversaries, I always think it's Heenan. You know, they mention Andre or Warrior, Savage, whoever they you want to be. Heenan's the consistent figure through so much of that. And on top of that, he was hilarious. You know, these days, a lot of the things that he said, I'm sure would not play in, in 2022. But in 1987, in 89, he was, man, just sharp. And, and him and Gorilla, there was a, the, the way that they improv doing primetime wrestling and things like that. I just sit there right now to this day and just chuckle. It is my 
nothing like me in relax mode is like I have nothing to do and I have an episode of primetime on and I'm just watching the two of them talk about the lamest you know junkyard dog Ted RCD's match and and the two of them are just like you know Bobby's complaining about Christmas coming up and not wanting to spend money and gorilla saying will you stop and I'm just like this is the part I really fell in love with like the in-ring stuff is really cool but that's what I love how much do you wish and still hope that there's an opportunity for you to be able to do that? Which part of it? The commentary or management? Either. Commentary comes to mind, but on the management side as well. I love my job right now. I find it very interesting, but like an interesting run where like there's someone that makes sense who's from New York, who's hip hop related, who's Jewish, whatever the thing is. And it's like, yo, you can help make this guy bigger. I would love to have a run to do that. The commentary piece I've always been interested in and I've expressed it before. Truthfully, my ability to be available to learn in the way I would need to and then to be there for it constantly would require probably a different lifestyle altogether and and not having this job. What I've reconciled is that I have like the best job in WWE. I show up, I do my thing, I get to hang out and be a part of it, and then I get to go home with my likeness and talk about the things I want to talk about. I might say I want to do a lot of other things, but a lot of the people who do those things are like, dude, do what you're doing. But I'm glad you asked it, because the truth is, it is an itch I'd like to scratch. I would love to get a chance you know, even if it was just to get to host a show like Primetime, like even if it was to get to, to bring back Primetime or Tuesday Night Titans. Don't even fucking start with me with Tuesday Night Titans. I know you and I've talked about this before. How great would like if you and I got to host that together? Either one of us at the main desk and the other one at the chair next to you talking shit. I'm good either direction. It would be so fun. I mean, I kind of want to be at the main desk, but <laughs> we'll talk about it. Well, by the way, I have a hunch if this would ever happen based on our status, you would be the one at the main desk. So don't you worry about it. But like, I would love to be the heat into your Vince McMahon, you know, or the Lord Alfred Hayes to your Vince McMahon. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know how much they're focused on that kind of stuff for Peacock. But yeah, I would love the chance to do that, man. That's the that's the most fun shit I've ever gotten to do was when I get to be like in some sort of character. Well, there's like the layers of it. It's like, you know, when you talk about like doing the kickoff show and how you're like, well, I'm in the show. I'm a part of the show and that's it. But then there's the other layer of like, oh, I'm like, now I'm like a different layer of being in the show. You know, like when I went from like doing backstage interviews and hosting things and whatever, but like when I got to do this stuff with Miz um, and with Maurice, like that was such a different experience. And I was so excited to do that because I really wanted to scratch that like performance bug where I was like, yes, I want to do that shit. Like I'll take a slap. I'll slap somebody which I missed, but... And you did. You took the hell out of a slap. I, I took a slap like a champ. Oh, um, you sure did. And Miz just sold my slap like a champ because I actually missed him. <laughs> <laughs> did you really? Yeah, yeah. Did you miss him or were you just being kind of scared and you paintbrushed him? It was a combination of the two. Um, I know I know. I was talking to Natty about it. I'm trying to think of who else I was talking to, but they're like, whatever you do, just like keep your eye on the target and hit. But I wanted to crank it back. So when I cranked it back, I stopped looking at him. And then I went to hit him and I was like, whoop, where's my target? Where'd I go? Swing and a miss. Isn't it wild how when you have to do one physical thing live and get it right, 
it's terrifying. And you're like, wait, they do this. Do you know how long I worked with people on that nutshell? <laughs> I bet. I had Orton, I had MVP, everyone was sitting around being like, no, bro, here's what you need to do. And I'm like, uh, 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 how do I, and then I have to get the, how do I, uh, and I'm like, this is nothing. You wouldn't even think of it as a real thing. And yet I was like, but you have to get it right. R-Truth told me, this is one of my favorite things. R-Truth was like, if you fuck it up, I'm kicking out. <laughs> I was like, okay, 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 okay. I was like, I got this. I love truth. He's the fucking best. Dude, he's special. Also, can we just say like whatever cologne he wears, the man always smells like a million bucks. He's 50 years old. His abs, his calves. Fuck it. No, like don't, his, his abs are one thing legit. Have you seen this man's calves? I don't know if I've, I've kind of been sleeping on his calves. <laughs> I, they're insane. Next time you see Truth, tell him you got to get eyes on those calves. Truth, I got to get my eyes on those calves right now. Honestly, the WWE has been the big dog for a long time. I understand why fans like to take their shots. Yo, for as much as people will talk about whatever, there are so many great people there. And like, honestly, talent in particular, there's very little on-camera talent that I don't think highly of. I don't have a bad word to say about really anyone there. I mean, did, you know, were there a couple things that I'm like, eh, I didn't love this or whatever. But like, as far as like human beings go, like, man, that's the one thing that like legit left like a little, it left a little like hole in my heart where like for me to walk away and like not see those people all the time. Like I fucking love those people. When you walk into a building and the first, like the last two shows ago, first people I walk in, I see, I walk in and see the new day rolling around in the ring and like the practice ring. When those are the first people you see in a day, you're having a good day. 100%. Like, I don't know if anyone is more legit a good guy in real life than those dudes. By the way, happy birthday, Big E, as we record this. Happy birthday, Big E. I was texting with him earlier and like, and that's like a prime example. It's like, I just shot him a text. Happy birthday, buddy. Hope you have a great one. And then like, we get into a whole conversation about killing Eve and like why 1883 is a beautiful show and like the loopholes in, in euphoria. I don't know 1883. Dude, it's great. It's a prequel to Yellowstone. I haven't seen Yellowstone either or Yellow Jackets. Well, watch all of them. Have you seen all? I've seen all of these. Yellow Jackets and Yellowstone. Yes. Wow. Which is better? Yellowstone, for sure. It's long. It's a little slow to start. But once you get into it, great characters, great writing. It's beautiful. Great show. But then 1883 is a prequel to that of how they end up in Montana on the ranch. And uh, it, it's awesome. All right. I'm writing this down. OK. It's Faith Hill and Tim McGraw are the main characters. Which at first I was like, I was like, that's going to be so distracting. I don't know that I can watch this. Oh, my God. They're exceptional. And the the um, girl that plays their daughter, Isabel May. Wow. What a stunner that thing is. Really? She's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. It's a great show, but that show just ended. Okay, say say less. I'm adding this to my list. We're running out of time here, but I wanted to ask you about your late night show that you were doing. What was that experience like? Because I feel like that really is kind of the dream. You know, you and I talked Tuesday Night Titans and what you were able to do with that show. It's funny. I was thinking about this not long ago because everyone's always talking about Pete Davidson. And I didn't know who Pete Davidson was until I saw him on your show. And I was like, who's this man with these fucking beautiful teeth? What's going on? 
That is so hilarious that that's how you got familiar with them. That's that's so funny. I'm really proud of it in retrospect. At the time, we made a huge mistake. The huge mistake we made was I'm working two jobs in radio and we're like, we're going to do a late night show. And not only we do a late night show, it's going to have three different scenes in each episode. That means weekly we have to be able to book more than three guests because one's a panel. So a three guest panel and then two separate guests. That's five bookings per week for my show and multiple locations. We're doing one segment out of studio every time, regardless what that is. And some of them were really great. We did a TV show for YouTube and we learned quickly that even though we had some episodes that did well, we learned like we were like people don't consume YouTube this way. They don't watch a 30 minute show that does three different things with all kinds of different people, even though I've gone back and watched recently and I was like, yo, first of all, my guest list in retrospect was pretty great and the things we did were pretty cool. But the whole time I was doing it, I kept thinking if I didn't have these other two jobs and I was just in this office all day, every day, we could fucking be crushing this. But I would show up there for a couple hours a week and try to squeeze it all in. And it was hard. It's also like I feel like, you know, I, I've had, you know, different conversations of like wanting to do something similar or trying to create a show, whatever. And everyone's always trying to reinvent the fucking wheel of a late night show. And what's this show? But how is it different? Well, it's different because we're walking and talking and we're doing this and we're moving set pieces and blah, blah, blah. It's like end of the day when I mean, obviously Letterman's the fucking man anyways. But what he was able to do with his new show on Netflix, we're like, they just go out on a stage. and they just have a conversation. It's so simple. I mean, they have the other shots that they get to. But like the bare bones of it is I'm just having a great conversation on a pretty dead set. It's about finding the right place to do the thing that suits you. I do well having regular conversations with people. What is the format that fits and people would be coming there to see that? And then furthermore, these days particularly, what is making it different than every other human on earth who's doing exactly what you and I are doing right now. This technology advancement has been amazing, but now there were already a billion shows. Now with us all being able to do this, there's 10 billion shows. So how do you do it? Everyone go away. Everyone get out of the way. Uh, Back up. Get out of my light. I know it's a pain in the ass, but it was fun. And there are episodes I'm proud of. The Pete Davidson one was a very interesting episode. Every one of them had sort of a story of how they came to be and crazy shit that happened around it. And I think in retrospect, I'm proud of it. I thought it was really great. I mean, I, I mean, as like your friend, I was like, fuck yeah, look at you go. But there was also part of me being like, wait, I want to do that. Like, you know, it was like it was both things, which I think is a great thing. How do you think when I, I felt when you got the um, Fox WWE gig? Yeah, that was a good gig. I was like, wait, a studio hosted interview wrestling show? This sounds I like a good I could do that. Fit. I know. <laughs> and I totally understand. And that's the, um, my hope is as the years go on, I get better at my first reaction being, yeah, go you instead of, it should be me. <laughs> <laughs> You're shit and I'd be better. <laughs> I don't ever actually like feel that way, but sometimes I watch things. I'm like, oh man, like that's so cool that you got to do this thing. And I thought it looked really great. And I thought you were great in the role. And you know what? Even though it's a thing that like doesn't exist anymore, it's a thing that you did and it was awesome. And yeah, you can look back on it and be proud of it. And it's a thing that turns into the next thing. 
there are moments that mattered. You know, when when Mac Miller passed away, we did. I insisted on us doing an entire show about him. The higher ups did not want to do it. I said it's the only option for, to do a show this week. Um, a because of where I was personally about it, and just because like if we don't do this, who's doing it? And that's why that show was special. And your credibility in that space as well, you know, like your name's on the line with that. And I appreciate that. And, and if you were to go back and look at it, when Mac passed away, we're the only place we spent an hour on his life. And I had four really big artists talking about Mac. And then we did a full conversation, a panel, roundtable panel about him. It made sense. And it was a show that meant to exist. Complex also a weird place. At the time I'm doing the show, I'm a 39, 40-year-old white guy. Everything on Complex's channel is like the cast of Euphoria. And then like a slice of pizza, and then like Tyler, the creator. I think trying to sell me to that audience is a little bit, like I, I, I'm good, and I'm talented, and, I, and whatever. But I, I always also felt like I'm a little old to be the guy we're trying to put in this spot. We're in like that weird age gap because I feel I mean, I'm 36 right now. And yeah, it's like, where do I belong? I'm certainly not young, but I'm not old. Like, where do I go? It's it's like that really weird spot. But it's also the sweet spot because I feel like you're really kind of hitting your stride in these years that like you've got the experience, but like you're still kind of got your shit together. But it's, it's trying to find where you really belong in these like formative years. The beautiful part is, is the world is disgusting. And since I'm a man, in theory, I have more time to figure this out. So you have to panic for the next 10 years and then you'll start getting all kinds. You know what? I don't because I just cut bangs and I can get Botox. So put that in your fucking pipe and smoke it. Well, I was about to say, then you'll start doing all weird work and I'll be texting your friends like, is it me or does Renee look like different this week? Oh, if I see like a text thread of you, Mansuri and Graves just being like, what's up with her? Okay, Something happened here. <laughs> Nay looks different. No, but but it is. It, I, I totally feel you on the time we're at in life. It, it, it's um, powerful in that you feel like you know what you're doing and you're settled in who you are. And also you're like, well, what am I doing, though? What's going to be? Did I already do my big thing? Am I going <laughs> to yeah. am I like I'm sure you think that you're like, 100%. wait, do I have the next thing that's going to be my big thing or was it going to be the wrestling? I think about that all the time. I think about that all the time. That's one of those things. Like we're talking about the arguments at night. I think about that shit at night when I'm going to sleep sometimes and I'm like, is it all in the rearview mirror now? Like, I don't, it, I, I think about that shit all the time. Well, listen, if that happens, worst case scenario, you go to WrestleCon a couple times a year, you say, you sign some cards, get that bag and keep the shit moving. You're going to be all right. Work with some indie shows, become John's valet. Fortunately, you're married to one of the hottest wrestling stars in the world right now. Who, Why by the won't way, he just let me be his valet? Does he understand what I would bring to the table? I have a lot to offer. We're going to see something one day. I hope so. Oh, we have to do something one day. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Fight fans, throw your best haymaker with a risk-free first bet from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, new customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code Renee and you'll be able to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. FanDuel offers all your favorite bets. Choose from the money line to the method of victory to which round the fight will end and so much more. You can even parlay different fight bets together. The bigger the parlay, the bigger your potential payout becomes. FanDuel is America's number one sports book and is now live in New York. New Yorkers get 
on this. This is the number one sports book in America. You want to be a part of this. The app is so easy to use. And when you win, you're going to get paid in as little as two hours to place your first bet risk-free. Just sign up with the promo code Renee and make every fight night mean more with FanDuel Sportsbook app. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FANDUEL.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. We've gone like way over the time. Well, only like 10 minutes over the time, but I could talk to you for forever. I will let you go, but thanks for coming on and being a part of the sessions. You're the best. First of all, I love the oral, and (laughs) I apologize. I feel like I talked endlessly to every question you asked. I love that. That's what the show's about. We started the show off with a great conversation about social media and knee-jerk reactions and getting in arguments with people and shit. And I don't know. And then we talked some real life stuff and back to work. I don't know. We did. We covered some real stuff. And yeah, I mean, listen, I told you this when you left WWE, but I tell everyone every, every chance I get, you were just so kind and warm to me and made me feel comfortable. Like until I figured out what I was doing. I was just kind of like attached to you to be like, what, what are we doing here? And then, you know, like they'd say, hey, you're going to do Talking Smack tonight. And I'd be like, oh, uh, OK. And, and just you'd be like, oh, I got you. Let's let's just go. And I was always super, super grateful. And your presence is certainly missed very much so. And I want to be clear. Fortunately, I adore Kayla. She's doing a fantastic job. Love her. And she's a she's a pleasure to work with and, and a pro. And Kevin Patrick now is an absolute pro and the, the sweetest man in the world. I've heard he's quite lovely. Hey, Renee, I, 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 it's such a pleasure. We got to sit down and have a pint. The second you, I mean, he's just, the, he's like literally that. like a walking stereotype of sweet Irish man. <laughs> that is like literally who he is. But, but you were just always the absolute best. So you are missed there. And maybe one day we'll see you there again. Yeah. Who knows? Listen, who knows? I always had a blast working with you, though. Um, I, you know, I was, I really look for, as much as I love working with you. I really loved bullshitting with you before and after the shows uh, a lot. We did some good kibitzing. We would sit in um, catering to watch the show afterwards. Renee would like have catering, to catering the hotel. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a great time. You know, uh, I know. You sure you don't want to come to WrestleMania and just like sit around? Dip and I and my girlfriend's going. We'll just be in the lobby having drinks at night. It's a great time. Oh, how about that dinner that we got to go to with Dip when we were in New Orleans? Oh, that was a winner. That was a nice spot with like the like charcuterie and stuff. New Orleans is such a treat. I will say, though, I like Dallas. I'm excited for a Dallas return. It's not New Orleans. Nothing. New Orleans is New Orleans is the best, best city to visit. By the way, I just looked at my hand. Have you ever seen the movie Ernest Goes to Jail? Uh, Yeah, I've seen all the Ernest movies. Ernest P. Worrell. Do you know when Ernest P. Worrell is in the jury and he starts messing with the pen and before he knows it, he has ink all over his hands (laughs) and then he has to like clean it up with the tissue and puts the tissue in his mouth. I just looked at my hand and was just like, what is, I don't know what happened. It's on my desk. I have to clean this now, but okay. Uh, In the words of Ernest P. Worrell, ew. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, yo. (laughs) If you don't know, 
I don't know that you should know, but you'll never know. Okay. <laughs> Ernest goes to camp and saves Christmas for me are where it's at. I love Ernest saves Christmas. Last thing I'll tell you, cause you will adore this. One of the biggest fights I got into with my dad when I was 10 years old, he would not take me to Ernest saves Christmas. And I was like, you would take me if you were a real dad. Like that was a bit, I was like, I can't believe you won't take me to Ernest Saves Christmas. The disrespect. Ernest Saves Christmas is a big one. It's funny. My brother actually sent me that on Blu-ray years ago. So I actually have a copy of it somewhere in this house. Wow. And they made Ernest Saves Christmas on Blu-ray. Yeah. I own it on my iTunes as well. So. By the way, have you gone down the YouTube uh, hole of like how he got started? Jim Varney? No. You don't remember that he just did commercials? Well, we didn't get a lot of the same commercials in Canada either. Go look up Ernest commercials. So many products. He did everything. And he'd always be talking to the camera. Was he like the original Sham Wow guy? It's not that though, because he had a character and he would just be like, hey, Vern, you know what I mean? Know what I mean, Vern? And he just say, know what I mean, Vern, all the time to the camera. You don't know who Vern is. And he's just talking to camera about any product. He did everything. If you end up down the, the rabbit hole. There's every product imaginable he did the commercial for. And then it blew up and he did like a whole bunch of movies and then he died real young. But they were uh, it was a legendary moment. Wow. I didn't I'm going to go down that rabbit hole at some point because Ernest. uh, I mean, it probably won't be until next Christmas when I really get on my Ernest kick. But I feel like John should like Ernest. Yeah, I think he likes Ernest Saves Christmas. I'm pretty sure he does. He's a red blooded American. He is. Yeah. Thank you, Renee. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Stu. Great to see you. Um, And I'll talk to you soon. A big thank you to Rosenberg for hanging out with me. You guys can catch him on his own podcast, Cheap Pete. You can catch him over on ESPN. You can catch him on Hot 97. And of course, you guys can catch him in WWE, former 24-7 champ. Y'all put a little respect on the man's name. It's so fun getting to catch up with friends and just like bullshit for a bit. They're fun episodes for me. I hope that you guys like listening to it too. Uh, you know what to do. Hit the likes, hit the subscribes, hit the hit a retweet. I don't know. Participate in some way or don't. Listen, I'm not trying to pressure you into anything. Thanks for hanging out with me, guys. This has been The Sessions.